Remember the 90s, when MTV still played music videos, when people still bought physical copies of albums, and when legendary musicians like Kurt Cobain and Dimebag Daryl still walked the earth? Well, now you can once again relive that decade every week on KBGA because your favorite 90s radio show, Sounds Like Teen Spirit, is back and better than ever. It's still the best show on KBGA to hear artists like Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Sublime, Megadeth, Primus, and more. Again, that's Sounds Like Teen Spirit, now on Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m., only on 89.9 KBGA Missoula.
was Metallica kicking off this program with That Was Just Your Life off their 2008 album Death Magnetic. Welcome to the award-winning Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I am your mononymous host, Ian. This episode features music from the likes of Belly, Cypress Hill, Radiohead, Dream Theater, Hole, Pennywise, Therapy, Iron Maiden, Caius, and Daft Punk. Plus, I'm going to be playing one song each from the new NoFX album, Single Album, the new Melvin's album, Working With God, and the 30th Anniversary Deluxe Remaster of the Black Crow's debut album, Shake Your Moneymaker, all of which came out on February 26th. I'll start with NoFX. NoFX frontman Fat Mike named the band's new album Single Album because he initially conceived it as a double. He set out to write the perfect double album, which is no small feat, and when the end result proved less than compelling to him, he decided to pare it down to just a single disc. Perhaps he views the final product through a lens of failure and compromise, but after listening to Single Album, I feel that Fat Mike may be an accidental visionary, having stumbled upon what could actually be a clever new method for writing a strong album. The logic behind it is simple, but so sound that it's a wonder more artists aren't doing this. If you write enough material for a two-disc set and then eliminate the weaker half of it, the remaining half would naturally make for one really killer disc. And it's not just about leaving much more on the cutting room floor than you would for a typical release. Double albums are generally more ambitious and epic in scope than their single-disc brethren, and if edited thoughtfully, that grandiose feeling could absolutely be distilled into a much smaller package. That is exactly what has been achieved with Single Album. Perhaps the album would have been perfectly fine as a double, but the one disc of it we got is arguably one of the strongest NoFX outings to date, and undoubtedly the band's most ambitious. For a punk album consisting of just 10 songs, it's surprisingly meaty. I was expecting it to be closer in length to the newest Green Day album, 2020's Father of All Mother Huffers, whose 10 songs clock in at barely over 26 minutes total. Single album is over 10 minutes longer than that, approaching 36 and a half minutes in length. Naturally, that means at least some of the album's songs are kinda long. Whereas Green Day's new album only had three of its 10 songs exceed the three minute mark, the new NoFX album only has three songs that go below it. Out of the remaining seven, two songs fall just shy of the four-minute mark, and two songs blow well past it. NoFX isn't exactly a stranger to long songs. After all, I'm sure at least several of you are aware of the band's 18-minute one-song EP, The Decline, but it is still an exceedingly rare thing to see from them, and at least in the case of this album, the longer songs tend to be the most interesting. Fortunately, there are still plenty of interesting things happening throughout the rest of the album, for single album boasts immense variety in not only its song lengths, but also in the songs themselves. The nearly six-minute-long album opener, The Big Drag, has a sweepingly epic feel that definitely feels like it was intended to kick off a much bigger album. Fish in a Gun Barrel has a reggae sound, which is something NoFX have dabbled in before, but unlike those other songs, as well as reggae in general, this song gives off dark vibes as opposed to good ones. 
Linoleum is a redux slash tribute to the band's iconic 1994 song Linoleum, featuring additional instrumentation from Avenged Sevenfold. Doors and Fours, which is nearly five minutes in length, opens with some guitar twang, something I'm pretty sure I've never heard in a NoFX song before, that quickly gives way to some Metallica Black Album-esque riffing. And the closing track, Your Last Resort, starts off as a sparse piano ballad and eventually erupts into a swirling punk rock cacophony. Basically, each song feels like a change-up from the one that came before, and each has something unique to contribute to the album. Just about as striking as the music on the new NoFX album are the lyrics, which often find the band tackling serious subject matter with a surprising amount of sincerity and maturity. The song Euphemism muses on sexuality and gender identity from Fat Mike's own perspective as a cross-dressing kinkster, and it actually manages to be as thoughtful as it is crass. Fish in a Gun Barrel is about mass shootings, particularly those motivated by religion. Birmingham finds Fat Mike recounting the moment he realized he was a drug addict. My Bro Can Survive Cancer details Fat Mike's attempts to console a terminally ill friend. Grieve Soto is a loving tribute to founding adolescence bassist Steve Soto, who passed away in 2018 at the age of 54. And Doors and Fours recalls the band members' teenage years in 1980s LA, always chasing after their next drug fix. I've noticed that recent NoFX albums have been getting progressively more mature now that the band members are all middle-aged, and the lyrical themes of single album represent the most substantial improvement yet in that regard. With this album, NoFX have fully embraced their role as punk rock elder statesmen and have grown up accordingly. Ultimately, single albums' ambition and maturity have resulted in something different and unexpected from NoFX. It's not going to be eagerly embraced by every NoFX fan, but I view it as a surefire sign that the band has leveled up. And if Fat Mike makes good on his pledge to deliver a follow-up album by the end of the year, effectively turning single album into the double it was originally intended to be, then I sure can't wait to hear what surprises that second disc may bring. Alright, for my next song, I decided to play that epic six-minute opener I alluded to earlier, The Big Drag. Enjoy! <laughs> Before James died, he smiled and laughed Cause he was just photographed For the last time While it was drowned, the kid in purred At least that's what I thought I heard That's cause I need to believe In the absurd Ashes to ashes after The planet crashes I trust all dust will turn to dust That's my 
portion of KBGA is brought to you by Imagination Brewing Company. By supporting over 1,700 community events in its educational center, Imagination brews handcrafted beer to make a positive impact on Missoula and beyond. For more information about what's on tap, 
weekly live music offerings, or to reserve the center, call 406-926-1251 or visit imaginationbrewing.com.
Jake the Snake Roberts. Who gives a damn about those call letters? KBGA, KGBA, whatever. It doesn't matter. You know where the music's at, don't you? Stupid. A question well served is silence like a fever. A voice never heard or a message with no receiver.
G H I J K B G A L O F O Q S T U V X Y Your Z
that was Daft Punk with Defunk off their 1997 debut album, Homework. Daft Punk have officially broken up after 28 years of music. The influential electronic duo of Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo and Thomas Bangalter announced late last month that they are hanging up their robot helmets for good. Of course, being the enigmatic French entertainers that they are, they made this announcement not with a lengthy, heartfelt statement explaining their decision and thanking the fans, but rather with an eight-minute art film titled Epilogue. The film begins with the two members of Daft Punk walking out into the desert together, both in their distinctive stage costumes. After turning to stare at each other for a moment, Thomas turns around to reveal a self-destruct switch on his back, and Guy Manuel activates it. Thomas starts walking away from Guy Manuel as the countdown clock on his back ticks down, and when it reaches zero, he explodes. Guy Manuel then begins walking towards the horizon as the Daft Punk song Touch plays him out. Perhaps the film is allegorical, suggesting that Thomas was the one responsible for the duo's demise, but I doubt it, considering that the two of them have hardly demonstrated even a hint of bad blood between them over their 28-year career. Although all we can do is speculate at this point, I'm convinced that the decision to retire the act was mutual, and that there's no deeper meaning behind the video than Daft Punk electing to communicate an important milestone to fans in a way that was consistent with their art and public personas. Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo and Thomas Bangalter met in 1987 while attending secondary school in Paris, and the two of them quickly became friends and creative partners. They formed a rock group in 1992 named Darlin, after the Beach Boys song of the same name. But after about six months, they lost all interest in rock music and moved on to electronic. They named their new project Daft Punk after a negative review of one of their rock singles that described the music as a Daft Punky thrash, which amused them. Daft Punk only put out four albums over the course of their 28 years together, though they also did the soundtrack for the 2010 film Tron Legacy, and they collaborated on hit songs with the likes of Kanye West and The Weeknd. However, despite having such a sparse output to show for nearly three decades of activity, Daft Punk never seemed to fade from relevancy to popular culture at any point during their run. Regardless how you may feel about the duo and their music, you have to give them credit for that, at least. Anyway, before Daft Punk, I played Feed the Tree by Belly off their 1993 album Star, Loose by Therapy off their 1995 album Infernal Love, The Silent Man by Dream Theater off their 1994 album Awake, don't You by Candlebox, off their 1993 self-titled, and Huffin' With My Head, Mountain Dew Rock, by Beck, off his 1994 album Mellow Gold. Once again, you're listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com SLTS2, and to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org teen-spirit. Alright, next I'm going to review and play a song from the new Melvin's album, Working With God. Although Working With God is the first new Melvin's album in just about three years, the band is generally much more prolific than that. 
Typically, the Melvins average at least one album a year, and they more than justify this voluminous output by changing things up within the band on an album-to-album -album basis. At this point, the Melvins are less of a rigidly defined band and more like a collective, comprised of mainstays Buzz Osborne and Dale Crover, and whoever the two of them happen to be jamming with at the time. Pretty much every successive Melvins album utilizes a unique lineup, with Osborne and Crover as the only constants. Each album is tailored to the collective strengths and proclivities of the lineup that recorded it, and several of them employ unique hooks or gimmicks. For instance, the band's 2016 album, Bases Loaded, made use of six different bassists, including Nirvana's Krist Navaselic and the Butthole Surfer's Jeff Pincus. 2017's A Walk With Love and Death, which was recorded by the current default lineup of Osborne, Crover, and Stephen McDonald, is a double album whose second disc is actually the score for an art film of the same name made by one of the band's friends. And the band's previous album, 2018's Pincus Abortion Technician, utilized two bassists, McDonald and Pincus. However, Unlike the Bassist Loaded album, which only featured one bassist per track, Pincus Abortion Technician had its multiple bassists playing in tandem on every track. The band's new album, Working With God, was recorded with the original 1983 lineup of Buzz Osborne on vocals and guitar, Dale Crover on bass, and Mike Dillard on drums. This is the same lineup that previously recorded the 2013 album Tres Cabrones, and in fact that was the only other album recorded with this lineup, as Dillard originally left the band in 1984, prompting Crover to switch to drums from that point onward. In other words, Working With God is technically not a traditional Melvin's album. However, from both a musical and compositional standpoint, it's actually about as traditional a Melvin's album as has ever existed. For a perpetually transforming band such as the Melvins, traditional really isn't a bad thing at all. In fact, it's actually kind of refreshing to hear a traditional Melvins album again after three years since the last album and several more years since the last traditional one. I'm sure at least some of you longtime Melvins fans out there are curious as to what I consider a traditional Melvins album to be, so here goes. For me, a traditional Melvins album largely adheres to the band's signature sludge metal style, but at the same time, it is frequently prone to attention-grabbing outliers, abrupt moments of comic insanity, surreal and hypnotic instrumental passages, and other strange detours. Basically, a traditional Melvins album attempts to distill the complete essence of the Melvins into a single, well-rounded package, and that's exactly the kind of album that Working With God feels like. The bulk of the album finds the Melvins tapping into their sludgy signature sound, although the songs on this one are generally more up-tempo than average, many of them attaining a punk rock momentum that feels highly reminiscent of the Butthole Surfers. In fact, this album tends to evoke the Butthole Surfers even more than the Melvins' 2014 album Hold It In, which was recorded with two actual members of the Butthole Surfers. So, the new album's default setting is pretty consistently awesome, but it also manages to dole out plenty of the captivating weirdness that Melvin's fans have been conditioned to expect. The album opens with a cover of the Beach Boys hit, I Get Around, which has been retitled I Fuck Around, and given revamped lyrics that basically turn every other word of the song into I'll 
Perhaps it's crass and juvenile, but it effectively conveys the band's fun side and shows off the easy chemistry these three guys have with one another. Later on the album, the song Huff You, that's right, another one with Huff in the title, channels the Beatles about as hard as I think the Melvins are capable of channeling the Beatles. Elsewhere, the song Hot Fish is about as bluesy and swampy as the Melvins have ever sounded while still keeping within the realm of sludge metal, and it's a definite standout. But the weirdest moment on the album comes in the form of its a cappella closing track, Good Night Sweetheart, which starts off with some Gregorian chanting that eventually gives way to doo-wop style crooning. Very few metal bands have cultivated a reputation that would enable them to get away with tacking such a jarring and baffling track on the end of an album, and fortunately the Melvins happen to be one of them. Working With God would be a very weird album by the standards of most other artists, but by Melvin's standards, it's about as regular as they come, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Alright, this next song I'm going to play is technically two songs that appear back-to-back on the album. However, they are very much companion songs, with one essentially serving as the intro to the other, and they both have the exact same title, save for one variable. The intro song finds the Melvins goofing off and disarming listeners for a moment, before launching into one of the rockinest songs on the entire album. Together, these two songs are an accurate snapshot of what the album as a whole is like, which is why I chose them. These songs are called... Brian the Horse-Faced Goon. Enjoy! Brian the Horse-Faced Goon Brian the Horse-Faced
This is Silver Sprocket, host of Something Else, live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on KBGA Missoula 89.9 FM. I feature avant-garde, electroacoustic, free jazz, and more creative music every week. You'll get to hear advanced new releases straight from the artists and record labels before anybody else and extensive interviews with the artists themselves. How about you give something else a try? Live every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. on KBGA Missoula, 89.9 FM, and streaming at kbga.org.
Hi, this is God. And whenever I'm in Missoula, which is always because I'm omnipresent, I listen to all the radio stations at the same time, including KBGA. KBGA Missoula, 89.9.
Listen, we don't need any fancy, super-duper promo. We don't need any of that. See, here with KVGA, we're just a student-run college radio station, and we play music. It's pretty simple. That's it.
Fighters with Holding Poison off their 2021 album Medicine at Midnight. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has announced its list of nominees for the class of 2021, and as I'm sure you've already surmised, the Foo Fighters have made the list. An artist only becomes eligible for the Hall of Fame after 25 years have elapsed since their first release, and the Foo Fighters' 1995 self-titled debut had its silver anniversary last year, so the Foo have perhaps unsurprisingly made the ballot in their first year of eligibility. Under normal circumstances, the band likely would have been nominated last fall and, let's not kid ourselves, already been announced for induction by this point in 2021. However, the still-ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has severely thrown off the Rock Hall's schedule. Typically, the Rock Hall holds all its induction ceremonies in the spring, but the Class of 2020 induction ceremony had to be postponed from its original date and was eventually held as a streaming event in November. So that's why we only just got the Class of 2021 nominees in February. A Foo Fighters induction would make Dave Grohl a two-time Hall of Famer after having been inducted as a member of Nirvana in 2014, and as I've already alluded to, it's pretty much an inevitability. It is almost unheard of for a first-year nominee to fail to make the cut, and the Foo Fighters undoubtedly have the artistic integrity, broad appeal, and music sales necessary to court the Rock Hall's favor. And even in the rare event that a first-year nominee is rejected, they're usually not much more than a few years away from getting in, which brings me to the next nominee I wish to discuss, Rage Against the Machine. Rage first became eligible for the Hall of Fame in 2017, and this year the band has been nominated for the third time since then. Right now, the band's rock hall trajectory is mirroring that of Nine Inch Nails, and if it continues to do so, then I really like Rage Against the Machine's chances this year. Like Rage, Nine Inch Nails was nominated twice in its first two years of eligibility and rejected both times. Then it disappeared from the ballots for a few years before finally securing a third nomination in 2019 and subsequently getting inducted with the class of 2020. Rage had only been off the ballot for one year since attaining eligibility, so they're actually following that trajectory even faster than Nine Inch Nails. Of course, they could still get rejected again, and given the Rock Hall's general bias against metal acts, that's not unthinkable, but artists don't get nominated three times in their first four years over nothing. Rage's time will come sooner or later. Alas, most metal bands, even some of the biggest and most iconic ones of the entire genre, don't typically get as much attention from the Rock Hall as Rage has, which brings me to the other nominee I want to touch on in this episode. Iron Maiden has been nominated for the first time ever this year, despite being eligible since 2005. While it's nice to see the Rock Hall finally show Iron Maiden some long overdue love, I hold out no hope for it to bear any fruit. At this time, you can count all the metal bands that have ever been inducted into the Rock Hall on one hand, and that's even still the case if you count Nine Inch Nails. Plus, Given the cold reception the Rock Hall has historically shown to Iron Maiden's new wave of British heavy metal contemporaries in Motorhead and Judas Priest, there's really no precedent for an Iron Maiden induction. And to cap it all off, the members of Iron Maiden have always been critical of the Rock Hall, and it's highly unlikely any of them would show up to the ceremony or even treat it as an honor if they somehow beat the odds. 
Then again, Radiohead was inducted in 2019 after their second nomination in as many years of eligibility, so I don't think that indifference towards the Rock Hall is a factor in their decision making. The remaining 13 nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Class of 2021 are The New York Dolls, Kate Bush, Devo, Chaka Khan, Jay-Z, Tina Turner, The Go-Go's, Mary J. Blige, Fela Kuti, LL Cool J, Carol King, Todd Rundgren, and Dionne Warwick. The fan vote, which represents just a portion of input on the class of 2021, is live right now at vote.rockhall.com. The polls will close at the end of April, the 2021 inductees will be announced sometime in May, and the induction ceremony is scheduled for October 30th at Cleveland's Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Naturally, I intend to follow up this report in a couple months' time after the Class of 2021 is announced, so be sure to check back with me then. Anyway, before the Foo Fighters, I played One Reason by Pennywise, off their 2008 album Reason to Believe, Phototropic by Caius, off their 1995 album And the Circus Leaves Town, Little Sin by The Toadies, off their 2001 album Hell Below, Stars Above, and Johnny Royale by The Beastie Boys, off their 1989 album Paul's Boutique. You're still listening to Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. To like this show on Facebook, go to facebook.com SLTS2. And to hear this and other episodes of the program after the broadcast, go to kbga.org slash teen-spirit. All right, next up is Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Class of 2021 nominee Iron Maiden with Still Life off their 1983 album Peace of Mind. The Rock Hall probably doesn't love you guys, but I do, and I'm sure my love means more to you anyway.
Zdravo, ja sam Dino iz Bosne, ponosne, a vi slušate KBG iz Ula Montana. Aj, uzdravlju. See him all that spitting out 
coming to get ya. Thinking like a peace mode, coming on a homicide. You talking ish, trying to take me for a ride. I'm not a bad guy, but I'm the fucking feel. Finger on the trigger when my head's up on a steel. Letting out a bullet, this is going boom. You're stuck in my hood, so what you gonna do now? Being the hunted one is no fun. Here I come, son, yo, I think you better run. Better run more and move a little faster. Second of thought, and I'm coming to blast you with my sawed off shotgun.
drops as my brain cells start to pop. She licks her fingers, stares away. Her IQ slowly drops. I prime my eyes as best I can from that big electric stain. She feeds her face with cheddar balls and rings around some her brain.
Yo, what's up? This is Afro Man. Hey, this is Bass Nectar. We're the Dodging Mountain Man. The Hood Internet. Hey, this is Michael Franti. This is Dude from Infected Mushrooms. And we are from the band. Up. You're listening to KBGA, Missoula. Strong to guide you Deaf and blind and dumb and born to follow What you need is someone strong to guide you Like me Like me Like me Like me If you want to get your soul
Offspring with Stuff is Messed Up, off their 2008 album Rise and Fall, Rage and Grace. At long last, The Offspring have announced the title and release date for their much-anticipated 10th studio album. The album has been titled Let the Bad Times Roll, and is scheduled for release on April 16th. It'll be the band's first album since Days Go By from June 2012, almost nine years ago. It'll also be the band's first album without founding bassist Greg Kay, as well as their first album under Concord Records. The album was recorded intermittently between 2013 and 2019, and it would have been released well over a year ago if not for a few unforeseen complications. One of these factors was a civil suit between Greg Kay and the two founding members left in the band, Dexter Holland and Noodles, over band ownership and dubious business practices. Greg Kay was fired by Dexter and Noodles in late 2018 amid circumstances that are still unknown to us, even with the lawsuit between them having apparently been settled. Although he was present for most of the album's recording sessions, none of his recordings were used on the new album, and instead, all of the album's bass tracks come courtesy of new bassist Todd Morse from the punk band H2O. In addition to Greg Kay's departure and related lawsuit, the album's release was also affected by the band's split with Columbia Records, who housed the last six Offspring albums, and COVID-19 had a hand in delaying it even further. On paper, it would seem like the nine-year gap between Days Go By and Let the Bad Times Roll is a special case, and future Offspring albums shouldn't take nearly this long to release. But then again, The Offspring is getting to be a pretty old band at this point, so maybe they're winding down. We'll see. At any rate, we do have a new single to enjoy in the meantime. To coincide with the official album announcement, The Offspring have issued the title track from Let the Bad Times Roll, and while I don't think I can say I love the song just yet, I cannot deny how infectious it is. For the most part, it sounds like a straightforward Offspring song, but it also makes extensive use of hand claps and acoustic strumming, and it boasts some slick modern pop production courtesy of third-time Offspring producer Bob Rock, who is best known for his work with Metallica and Motley Crue. It will be one of 12 tracks slated to appear on the upcoming album, another of which is the previously issued standalone single Coming For You from 2015. There also appears to be a re-recording of the band's 1997 hit Gone Away amid the track list, but the new version will be over a minute shorter than the original, so the band presumably took some liberties with it. As you would rightfully expect, I'll be reviewing and playing some songs from the new Offspring album on Sounds Like Teen Spirit after its release, so be sure to keep an eye out for that next month. Anyway, before the Offspring, I played Lucky by Radiohead off their 1997 album OK Computer, Opiate by Tool off their 1992 EP of the same name, More on TV by Primus, off their 2011 album Green Naugahyde, Hand on the Pump by Cypress Hill off their 1991 self-titled debut, and Doll Parts by Hole off their 1994 album Live Through This. And that about wraps up a glistening edition of Sounds Like Teen Spirit on 89.9 KBGA Missoula. I have been your host, Ian. 
I'm concluding this episode with a track from the 30th anniversary deluxe remaster of the Black Crow's 1990 debut, Shake Your Moneymaker. The Black Crow's reunited in late 2019, and we're all set to embark on an extensive tour celebrating the 30th anniversary of their well-regarded first album last year. But of course, COVID-19 happened instead. The band also presumably intended to release this new collection last year as well. But, at least we have it now. The 30th Anniversary Deluxe Remaster of Shake Your Moneymaker consists of three discs with over 2 hours and 45 minutes of material between them. The first disc is simply a brand new 2020 remaster of the classic 1990 album. The second disc is made up of bonus material, including five studio tracks originally recorded during the Shake Your Moneymaker sessions but left off the album, alternate versions of three of the album's singles, and two demos from the band's early days back when they were known as Mr. Crow's Garden. And finally, the third disc is a recording of an entire Black Crow's concert that took place in the band's hometown of Atlanta around the end of 1990. The original album still bangs after all these years, the bonus material is all quite good, and the concert disc houses some interesting surprises, such as a really excellent cover of the Beatles' hit Get Back. This really, truly is the ultimate gift for the ultimate Black Crows fan. To close out this episode, I'm going to play one of the bonus songs off the second disc. Unlike some of the other bonus songs, I'm pretty sure this one has never before been released as a studio recording, only as a bootleg live track. This song is called Jealous Guy, not to be confused with the Shake Your Moneymaker mega hit Jealous Again. Well, adios. One, two, three, four.
have to know that I never wanted to hurt you, baby Cause I'm just a jealous guy Oh yeah, jealous guy Call home. 